May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Again, thank you so much for being here. I'm so thankful to have somewhere to go uh, to see real people. Even if I can't see all of your faces, it's really, really wonderful to be here. And I'm, as I said, I'm blessed. Uh, so thankful to have a share in the ministry uh, of Christ Church and to be part of this uh, significant service this evening. And Amy, thank you for your patience. Uh, Patrick told me how much you were pressuring him to get this scheduled and uh, your impatience and your, your hostility, all of that just came right out, at least as Patrick told me about it. And you know you can count on him to be totally accurate unless he says that you were riding a motorcycle on South Padre Island, which never happened. Um, one of the things that I really love about following Jesus is that he's so unexpected. I just don't know what he's going to do or say next half the time. Now, in some ways, I know. I know where he's going. I know where he's leading us, but I don't always know how we're going to get there because he seems to like interstates less than back roads. And so it's quite an adventure, and he is very unexpected. So, so in the gospel that we heard Scott read, try to imagine being in a locked room with a group of family or friends. You can't go out. You're not sure what's going to happen. There's a lot of anxiety. The bars and restaurants are closed. There's no school. You can't go to work. Oh, wait, that's our story. So anyway, <laughs> imagine that locked upper room, Jesus knows that it's coming to an end. He's been talking about it since the Mount of Transfiguration and they begin that long road to Jerusalem from the mountaintop. And he got, he's there gathered at the Last Supper, that meal that is so much at the heart of who we are now. Uh, the meal that during this pandemic we've learned again how much we need it and how much we long for that communion, that common union that we share in the Lord's Supper. But there they are and they're weary, they're worn out, they're tired, they're confused, they're anxious. It could be us, right? They're there and Jesus... Jesus is teaching late into the night. It's called the farewell discourse. And there's long teaching and long prayers. And it's like he knows this is his last chance now for the time being to really try to get them to understand who he is and what he's about and why he's come. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what is his commandment? The greatest commandment is this, to love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he makes these, these promises that cut through the darkness and the anxiety and the uncertainty and the, these unexpected, almost unreasonable promises to his disciples. And we can be sure that when Jesus is talking to his disciples, He's talking to us. We're intended to overhear these conversations and this teaching. 
And, and confirmand, raise your hands, confirmands. I didn't acknowledge you enough. Raise your hand, like, high, so the people all over the world that are watching this can see your hand and how excited you are. So those of you that are, are the younger confirmands, you need to understand that these disciples were closer in age to you than they are to me. So even that was an unexpected thing that Jesus did. He called the unprepared, the untrained, um, the immature, the playful, the, the wanderers, all of those came to be his, his closest friends, the ones he entrusted all of this to. So you, not that he didn't like older people. I'm not, don't hear me say that. He loves us just as much. But you who are younger know that his disciples, those people gathered in that room were closer in age to you than to me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. And he said, then he promises, he promises several things. He promises that he will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be his ongoing presence with them. That he will abide with them in the Holy Spirit. He will be present. And he promises again, I will not leave you orphaned. Some translations, it's desolate. We know what desolation feels like, the emptiness, the lifelessness. He says, I will not leave you orphaned. And then another unexpected promise, I am coming to you. What an odd thing to say in that upper room where he hasn't gone from them. But he's saying, I am coming to you. I, this movement of God that started with the incarnation, I am coming to you. I will not leave you orphaned. Because I live, you will live. Because I live, you will live. Another promise. And not just your heart keeps beating and your cells keep rearranging themselves and duplicating. Not, not just that kind of life, but this eternal life, this kingdom life that Jesus has come to proclaim and to embody. It's because I live, he says, you will live. He's, remember, he's talking to us too. And then... You will know I am in my Father and that you are in me. It's a promise that this life of following Jesus is not, not just Simon says where we try to keep up with Jesus' movements and his words and just repeat them, ape what he says and mimic what he does, but that we are drawn into participation in his life. That we are grafted into the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. That his life is in us and we are in him. One of the things that I love about following Jesus is that there's this, this nevertheless aspect to him. Nevertheless. At one point in Luke's gospel he says, Something has not gone well. He says, but nevertheless, the kingdom has come near. So and in spite of quality, quality, and yet, and yet. So the last six or seven months have been a long list, a litany of disappointments for all of us probably. 
I could give you a whole laundry list of things that as Bishop of the Diocese of West Texas I intended to do, which mostly would have created work for all of you. But wonderful, good, important work. Canceled, postponed, never got started, whole list. We know personally, we know in our work, in our, our social circles, all of the things that have not happened the things that we had to let go, the things that we had to do differently. I don't need to tell you all that. That's what we've been living in. We still are to an extent. It's going to get better. This is, this is more normal than what we have been used to. So thanks be to God for something closer to normal. But in the midst of all of this, just as in the upper room that night, there is with Jesus a nevertheless that comes, and in spite of that comes, and, and yet, so that the last word about this current circumstance we're in is not really the last word, because Jesus has the last word, and his word is a word of truth and a word of life, and Jesus says, nevertheless, the kingdom has come near. Nevertheless, I am coming to you, nevertheless, because I live, you will live. Nevertheless, you will know that I am in the Father and that you are in me. I read a, a newspaper article. I still read a newspaper. I'll have to explain what that is to some of you. Anyway, read the paper. Uh, read an article about um, a Navy SEAL who had written a book. and It seemed like a pretty interesting book, but I, I didn't buy it but I might. Anyway, he, he, he uses this great word, awfulize, that we have a tendency to awfulize any situation. So the word awful with eyes. So we tend to awfulize so that if something bad happens, we have a tendency as human beings to awfulize it, to make it seem a whole lot worse, to globalize what has happened. We're certainly in a season of awfulization. I made that one up. Awfulization, where we, we tend to go toward the worst possible news. And, and yet we have the good news. We have this news tonight, this good news that spreads out from here, this news that is given to us to be grafted into our hearts. This nevertheless, that is the response of the living word to any circumstance that can occur to us. Any, the worst that can happen to us is not the last thing. Jesus says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not leave you desolate and alone. I will send my spirit. My ongoing presence will be with you. So let me bring it to close here say something about those of you being confirmed. What Jesus says to his disciples in John's gospel is exactly what he's saying to all of us. And part of the ministry that you who are being confirmed are taking on by bravely coming forward to be confirmed this evening is to help us remember that truth. Confirmation is, is a, a, a reaffirmation of baptism. It's a reaffirmation, a reclaiming, a saying a yes all over again to what we receive by grace 
by water and the power of the Holy Spirit at our baptism, and how easy it is for us to forget the preciousness of that identity that we have received by the grace and love and mercy of God, that we are, we are the child of God and an heir of the kingdom, and nothing and nobody, no awfulizing in the whole creation can take away what God has given us. Nothing and nobody can take away what Jesus has done for us. So, confirmants, when you stand and are presented, when you take the, the, the short answer exam I'm going to give you, open book short answer exam that you get, you're going to help all of us remember who we are and who we belong to. That we follow an unexpected Lord who stands in the midst of all things and all times and says, nevertheless, nevertheless, you are precious and you are loved and the kingdom of heaven has come near to you this night. Amen.